Hi, my name is Tawana Shante, and welcome to the Freedom Agent Journeys podcast. On this podcast, I will be discussing an array of topics and conversations with some of the most influential creators and thought-provoking spiritual leaders. So grab your favorite beverage and journey with me. So welcome to the podcast. Today we have special guest, uh, an incredible singer and songwriter. Uh, she's a musical visionary. Um so, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, Lily and Yell. Now, Lily, am I saying your last name correctly? You and nailed Yale? it. I did. Awesome. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> awesome. This is so cool. I, um, as I said to you before, I'm super excited about you being um, on the podcast, being able to uh, just share your story. I'm definitely a fan of your music. Thank um, you. And I just, I love what you do. And I met you probably, what was it, about three years ago, maybe three years ago at the Yellow Scar, our connection. Um, it was Cassandra Wilson's place and mm-hmm. it was such an amazing energy. And you just had such a way of, uh, there was a warmth about you that I just love. You know, a lot of times when you meet an artist, <laughs> you know, they're like, I only have a few minutes to talk to you. But, uh, but yeah, no. you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes. I know what you mean. <laughs> but um, but you, it was just kind of like you just had such a, a warmth about you and your music. Um, it just has that same feel. It's so organic and it brings you in just like your personality. So once again, you know, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're able to join me today. I'm glad to be here. I, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me. I initially thought, like, she wants to talk to me. But uh, <laughs> um, I pre- I'm like, you know, darling, I only have a few minutes. That's not me at all. No, 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 no. So I appreciate it very much um, being included in this podcast well, and, and, and sharing with you. Well, thank you so much. Well, I, I was thinking, uh, like I said, it's pretty much, you know, whenever people come on, it's, it's, it's definitely... Um, I call them just organic conversations of things that, um, for me, that uh, I want to know, and I'm sure others want to know. And just, just I think what we do, uh, and particularly even your music, there I, I hear the inspiration in it, I hear the passion in it. So how did you, um, I guess, get your love for music? You know, I, I, I know you grew up, and I didn't know this. I, I I was like I don't know why I thought you were from California, but I didn't know you grew up in uh, in, in uh, East Harlem, right? Yep, wow. grew up in East Harlem. Um, and they call it El Barrio. You know, it's a uh, it was magical to me. I, I you know it was a rough place to grow up to be born in, but as a kid, it was home. Mm-hmm. Um, music was always playing at home where my love for music and influence came. We lived above a record store on 110th Street, right off of Park wow. Avenue then. And um, I remember hearing the bass reverberate on the floor of the, of the apartment um, and always hearing music. And sometimes they had speakers they'd put outside and you'd hear it. So there's no, I couldn't be anything but a musician on some level because that's always what I heard. And my mom always played really good music at home. Um, she played jazz. Of course, she played a lot of Cuban music. She played a lot of Afro-Cuban music, mm-hmm. traditional call and response, uh, just vocals and drums. Um, and um, so that's where the, the rhythm came from. And it was all, music was always a, a big deal. If not that, the radio was playing, you know, so 
that's where the influence started. As I got older, um, I began to sing when I went to church. Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, and um, singing helped make the whole, <laughs> the uh, let's say, uh, keep it nice, the whole ritual of church, of Roman Catholicism, tolerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it made it so like, well, I'm going to go sing. That's how I always mm -hmm. looked at it. In our church, where I grew up in the South, we moved from Harlem to the South Bronx. I don't know which was worse. <laughs> but um, what, what was I went from bad to worse. Um, I preferred Harlem. But um, I, I, uh, the, the church where I attended school, they had this huge pipe organ. Mm. And it was just so cool to sing along with a pipe organ. You know, I was in the choir. Um, so that was cool and something that I liked. And so I remember, fast forward, when I attended uh, City College, the music program, the vocal program, and I auditioned. And they said, but you never took voice lessons. How is your voice so strong? And I said, well, I've been singing since I was a kid. And, you know, you try to compete with a pipe organ, you're not going to win. Absolutely not. You sing strong. Yeah, you know? absolutely not. So that's pretty, a lot of ways, that's the origin. I know that sounds typical. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, I started singing in church. But no, I did is is that why you know even now when I hear your music there's a um I hear the the um the organ you have an organist that plays yes would you consider yes. that would be the influence that you had you know due to you have been the you've been the first person to connect those dots okay because yes. I love that I wanted to learn how to I initially my first instrument that I wanted to learn to play was organ wow and now my my twin sister. She was the first one to express an interest in music, and they were going to buy her a piano. And I remember saying, Barb, get an organ. And she goes, you know, it's it's not the same thing. Um, it involves pedals. It's a whole different, you know, and she wanted a piano. And she was the oldest, even though by one minute. So they said, yeah, you're getting a piano. And I was like, oh, well. And I let it slide. I remember, I mean, I heard when I heard Percy Sledge play When a Man Loves a Woman, and when I heard, um, oh, gosh, when I heard... A wider shade mm. of pale. Th those songs, I was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And then my, I, you know, my love of keyboard changed organ. But I love the sound of an organ. So instead of the traditional quartet, where it's myself on rhythm guitar and a lead guitarist, drums and bass, I have an organist. Plus, uh, Dale Melton, who works with me, is also my co-producer on my records and engineer. He also plays piano. So he has all these sounds. It's great. He goes from regular acoustic piano to a Wurlitzer, to an organ, to the B three. So it's fantastic. Wow. I love it. Now is 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 um of course you you you're an amazing guitarist. How did you transition into that that love for, um you know like the the, the organ? What what was it like? Were you was like you know what I'm gonna just pick up the guitar? How did that happen? Well. And again, another typical story, because everybody in the world will say, well, when they first saw the Beatles, it was when I first saw the Beatles. I remember my sister and I sitting on the floor watching Ed Sullivan, and we just turned to each other and said, which one do you want to be? And I said, I want I want to be John. And she said, I want to be George. And you know, that's who, it's funny, it's who we liked. And um, But then at that time, you didn't see very many women, females no. playing guitar. You know, if not, they were like a little puppet show on a kid's TV program, you know. And I was like, no. And so I, I would, there was a great time for television in the 60s. 
because there are a lot of music programs. And there was a show out of um, Baltimore that aired in New York called the Lloyd Thaxton Show. I'm sure it's before your time. Um, and he would have people perform. And out comes this little tiny woman with nappy hair like mine and two <laughs> braids like mine. Her, na- her name her name is Janice Cian. I- I- ironically, today's her birthday. Happy birthday, Janice. And when she played a song called Society's Child, which she'd written, she was very young, she was like 13, about an interracial uh, relationship, which she mm-hmm. caught hell for, but she she wrote what she felt, you know, her point of view. And when I saw her play that kind, such a deep song, and I was like, well, yeah, I could do this. Why not? And I carried that with me from a, I mean, I was young then. And I carried it with me until... I would see kids at school like play guitar at the church, which I thought was lame, but still they played guitar. Um, um, I just kind of felt like the organ in the church, that's it. I don't want to hear no guitar. But I I, um, I had friends who say, if you want to learn, learn. Then I felt like I said, I don't want my sister to think I'm c- competing with her. I'm doing like what she did. And I actually went to my sister. I said, if I started to study music, would, would that bother you? And she said, are you kidding me? That would be great. We could you could make music together. And here I was thinking, because parents don't mean to, but when they have twins, they sometimes pit one yeah. against the other. I have, you know, they don't mean to, but it's like she was the she was the good twin. She was quiet. She did exactly as she was told. Me, on the other hand, I was held to pay. I asked a lot, too many questions. Mm. I always wanted to know why and why mm. and why, and they didn't like that. So she said. Of course. So I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I want to learn how to play guitar. And she goes, sure. Because, you know, I was also that kind of kid that said, I want to learn how to do this. And two weeks later, it was over. And I said, no, no, I really want to learn. And she says, okay. So she gives me her, her EJ Corvettes, which is a defunct, you know, department store. She thought I was going to buy a toy. I said, no, no, I, I need, I, I want to buy a real guitar. And she says, well, how much do you need? I said, $450. And she goes, $450? This is real. And I said, well, yeah, it's real. And she goes, okay, well, what are you buying? I said, actually, I'm buying a used guitar. And she goes, used? For $450? And I said, well, it's $400 for the guitar, and it doesn't bring a case. It doesn't bring a case. You know, she, she, and then she saw, she goes, well, I don't want you to think that I did for your sister when she expressed an interest, and we ran out and bought her a Baldwin piano. Um. Okay. She gave me her then master charge and maxed it out. She gave me the cash. And she said, promise you'll take someone to go, that will go with you who knows about guitars so you don't get taken. And I knew what kind of guitar I wanted. I'd been researching it. And um, I got the, what was then there was no internet. So I, I had a news, wonderful paper called The Bylines. I don't know if they existed in the South. And on, in, on The Bylines, B-U-Y-L-I-N-E-S, They'd sell cars. There's everything that you could sell. And they had musical instruments. And I took someone with me. And I knew it was the right guitar to get. I wanted a guild like Richie Havens played because I saw Richie Havens played hard. And he would beat up his guitar. And it still, still sounded like like beauty. And I, and I went with the guy. And I was listening. And I played the little bit that I know because I, had, mm. I was self-taught initially. And... Uh, the guy looked at me and goes, do you like it? And I said, yeah, I kind of do. And he goes, because if you don't buy it, mm. I will. That's when I knew it was a good guitar. And so I bought it. I still have it. It's the guitar that I write on. It's it's 
very old. It was four years old when I bought it. I had it appraised, and it's worth so, these days a lot of money. But it's so how it's so my how, how, how old were you when you bought your first? Yeah. <laughs> Are you you gonna do that? Okay. When I bought my first guitar, I was in college actually. I started. I was a believe it or not. I was a late bloomer. Really. I was a late band. People were surprised, like, you're starting music. Really? And and then they'd hear me, and, or I had the opposite. And they'd say, wow, you sound great. How long have you been playing? And I'd say about eight months. What? You know, and and I'd say, well, yeah. yeah. And, and I just had a desire to do it. So it went all in. And plus, I used to get up in the morning and play guitar and have breakfast and play guitar and then have lunch and then play guitar and then have dinner and then play guitar. And maybe watch a TV program. Wow. The whole time I was playing guitar. So when you when you invest that much time, and then after that I, I enrolled, I quit college because I was in a wonderful program, the vocal program at the Leonard Davis Center of Performing Arts at City College. And I had wonderful teachers. I was under the tutelage of amazing jazz singer who's still doing it these days, Sheila Jordan, mm. who's married to Duke Jordan, wow. Tony Parker's pianist. And Sheila is an amazing singer. I learned a great deal about performing and how to work a mic and dealing with a crowd, everything. I was in her performance class for a full year. And I studied privately with mezzo-soprano Janet Steele. I studied voice. The music program in and of itself in terms of theory was very difficult unless you played piano. I didn't play piano, so I struggled a great deal. Um, and I, I, I had a hard time and I said, mom, I can't do this anymore. I'm not sure how I'm going to study, but I'm not, I can't do it here. So I took a leave of absence properly, but I didn't go back. And lucky for me in New York at that time, Paul Simon's brother, Eddie Simon, had started mm. a school called the Guitar Study Center. And I heard a commercial for it. And I figured it was expensive because it was on 59th Street off of Fifth Avenue. And I'm like, this is going to cost. And it wasn't a traditional school where you got a degree. It was to study guitar. And all of his teachers were all either very well-known session players or uh, they worked on Broadway in the pit. And they'd come at night and they'd teach classes. And so my mom said, I can only afford one class, which that back then was a big deal, 60 bucks. Now that's nothing. But I went and I studied songwriting and harmony with Barry Kornfeld, I consider him my mentor. And I would audit the other classes. If you audited classes, you couldn't take part. So I couldn't play, but I could take notes and listen. And every now and then a teacher or student wouldn't come in because it was only five people to a class. It was very concentrated. They could participate. If one of the regular class members didn't show up, he'd say, "Take grab a guitar, you can sit in. When they saw that I was so uh, interested and did the homework and did exactly you know, that I, I responded. Uh, I wasn't one of the poor mm, rich kids who right. just was taking the class for the sake of it. Um, they'd say, they a lot of them would say, we won't tell Eddie. And if Eddie <laughs> Simon's listening, I'm sorry, too bad, too late. Um, he said, you can, you can, you can, he'd say, they'd say, you can take part in the class. We won't take, because you're, we see how much, how motivated you are. Bring your guitar. So I soaked in wow. as much as I could possibly soak in. Wow. In those classes. That is amazing. Like, you guys, this is gems right here, everybody. This is like, really, she is dropping so many wonderful gems. I think one that I love most is the, uh, the fact that 
you're basically saying you were investing in yourself and you just, every opportunity that you had, you use that to be disciplined and work on, on your skills, you know, at, at building what it is that you wanted to do. What was, in terms of um, where you were then, when did you know, like, you know what, I think I want to, you know, do something with this, you know, beyond, you know, the classroom and the, beyond like really just, I want to really go out and perform. What was your first like uh, performance spot that you did in, in, in New York City or wherever, wherever it was? What was your first performance? Do you? Well, I, I think I always knew I wanted to perform from the time I was little. There was just something I felt inside of me. Um, I don't know how, I didn't know why, but um, I always kind of felt, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this. And when after I, I studied studying guitar, like, you know, I always say, it was time to take off the training wheels and ride the bike. I uh, finished with the Guitar Study Center because my teacher then at that point, I was studying privately at the center. He became a minister mm. and he left and I was heartbroken. It's funny. And where did he go? He came to Villanova, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, near Philadelphia, where I live now. And I have since reconnected with him, which is wonderful. Um, and I said, well, I got to do this. And so I started um, going to open mics in the village. I lived in New York, born and raised. And um, I went to Folk City. I went to a wonderful cafe, which is now like known as the mm. place to perform, to play jazz, the Cornelia Street Cafe. And um, they had something on Monday nights called the Songwriters Exchange. And the way it worked was you showed up, and if you had a brand new song or half a song or a third of a song, you performed what you had. The next week, the only way to perform was to have a brand new song, and you could perform whatever you worked on from the song from the previous week, and on and on. And if you didn't have a song, you still showed up to lend your support wow. and to learn from all wow. the other songwriters. It was invaluable. The owner used to, yeah, the owner used to, Robin um, Hirsch, who's still the owner, um, used to shut down for two hours from seven to nine or six to eight, something like that, and uh, wouldn't serve until unless there was a break. So if there were customers, they had to wait. He let us do our thing, which was amazing. Um, and after that, that <laughs> I remember I showed up. I had like two songs that I'd written. I was terrified, but I got up. I got up there, and I, I did the one song that I remember when I had written it in my songwriting class with Barry Kornfeld at the Guitar Study Center. I remember at the end of that class, as I was leaving, he said, "Come back." He said he used to call me "Kid." Kid, you got something. And I and he was the first person who uh, curated my first demo and had me go in the studio and work with. Wow. When I look back, some heavy session players and I didn't know who they were at the time um, in New York, and it was that song. And I remember the song was called "Boxes." It was about feeling alienated and trapped. And uh, I remember I played I played the song, and when I went to leave the cafe. <laughs> He has a British accent. Robin's British. Because, darling, so when would, when, would, when would you like to play in the salon? And I was like, oh, you mean here? Because, yeah, we passed the hat. And I said, you mean I get I make a few bucks? Sure. And it went from there. Of course, then we'd leave Cornelia Street and the 
the Monday Night Hoot, which is also another form of, of an open mic, but it's more organized because you'd show up at Folk City. The owner would have a deck of cards numbered from 1 to 52. He shuffled them. He put them face down at the bar. You waited online on site, and when the door opened, you went like man and rad- randomly picked a card. And whatever number you got, that was the order that you'd perform. <laughs> but for like four weeks, I kept not getting like, Monday I got 52, then I got 39. That means <laughs> the number was never going to show up. And I-, I remember that fourth Monday, I was so defeated. And I picked some really high number. And I said, that's it. I'm never coming back. I come here. Every week I wait, I listen to everybody else. Half these people suck. You know, and I just, I was upset. I was upset. I know. No, I know. You know and I didn't, I didn't really mean that. I, you can't say people suck. They were different, you know, different from what I, and I said, that's it. And as I went to leave the owner who was behind the bar, a wonderful man, the late Mike Porco, little old Italian man. He said, he looked around, he goes, come back, pick another number. And I said, excuse me? He said, go ahead, go ahead. You're a nicer girl. Pick another number. From that Monday forward, every Monday I showed up, I would wow. pick between one and five because he gave me a chance. So it was it was like destiny. It was ser- serendipity. It was synchronous. It was a lot of things that was meant for me to do. And he was always a champion of my music. He got me my first big review in the New York Post. Um, and it went from there. And I started performing mm-hmm. there. And there, then those days, you got to really play because you'd get five nights to perform. If they gave you a gig, you started on Wednesday. And you ended on Sunday. And you did two sets a night. And on Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. you did three sets a night. That's where you learned how to deal with all the drunks. Because the last set would start at one o'clock in the morning. So you got your your share of, of understanding, like, okay, this is yeah. how to deal with it. How to deal with it. And and that's where you cut your teeth. You really cut your teeth. And I kept and I kept going from there. I know that some also describe your music um as this comfortable um straddle. Uh, between jazz and folk music. How do you describe your music? What what would you describe your music as being? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good way. Um, most people that pick up a guitar for the first time, like myself in New York, you know, you learn a few chords. Mm-hmm. If you learn just a few chords, you can play every Bob Dylan song in creation. Um, mm. and, and simple doesn't mean that it's bad. Simple yes. means that it's yes. smart. The greatest songs are the ones that are simple, not complicated. Um, so, yeah, I was influenced by all of the folk musicians, Bob Dylan um, and uh, Richie Havens, uh, all the way down the line. And then people, as they got older, or they, they their, their musical um, dialogue expanded, their music expanded. So you take James Taylor and you take one of my favorites, Joni Mitchell, who and Janice Ian, and Joan Armitrading, and, and, and the, they, they expanded. Joni Mitchell went from being a very straight-up folk musician and incorporating more uh, complicated rhythms and jazz harmony um, because she used to play in an open tuning, and those notes lent themselves, um, the chords that she played, to jazz. Um, and I, I thought that was amazing. Um, I used to... <laughs> If we go on a lot of Janice Yen's records, she had Ron Carter playing upright bass. She had Richard Davis playing upright. All these, they had Steve Gadd. They had Richard T. They had a lot of 
amazing musicians. Um, Joni Mitchell had the LA Express um, at the time, which was um, Tom Scott. Um, and so that happened with me because I think my music, and you, you talked about what to call it, it straddles. Um, I am born American. Yeah. I am a black Cuban. And so there's a lot of rhythm mm -hmm. in me, and there's a lot of rhythm in the music. There's a lot of rhythm in jazz. It's not just straight ahead 4-4. Four, four. And I like to play with the offbeats, and I like tied dotted quarter notes and, and, that, and that, that sort of thing. And that has worked its way. That's definitely as part of my heart. It's part of my music. And then the harmony. You know, it's another thing. If you listen to Latin jazz or straight up Latin music or then even Afro-Cuban music, when you listen to the harmony, it's a little bit more. Yes, um, yes. It's more open. And I would say I am definitely jazz influenced. And and dare I say, call myself jazz. I, I've been called jazz because the radio stations, that will, the only radio stations that will play me are jazz. So that's fine. You could call it Shirley. Okay, like, you can call it whatever you want as long right. as you you like the music. But it's definitely a hybrid of jazz and folk and R and B, and sometimes a little sprinkling yeah. of pop. Not as much. Um, I I uh, I want it to be good music. I want the lyrics to be good. I I want it to be music that people identify with and get something from. But yeah, I would I would call it a hybrid of jazz. When did you know, Lily, that this was? You know, like you wanted to take this music, like you said, you you knew that there was always this um, that you would perform. Uh, when did you know that? Okay, this is what I'm going to do, and mm -hmm. I'm going to make a career out of this. Was it something that just you know, not just saying happened? Where you like you know, I'm going to travel and do this as well. Did you had to? Did you have to think about it, or did it just organically happen? Kind of like you were saying that the guy gave you the um, you know the opportunity. Said, "Don't give up. You know, come back." When did you know it was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do this full time? When was, when was your first mm -hmm. like, um, you know after you know my, the Washington Post um, write up that they had? Did you know then like okay I'm, I'm gonna do this like? No, I I I always knew I was gonna keep trying until you know if they, if it came to a point where it's like look this ain't happening, um, but I kept getting good feedback and I get kept meeting people who would advocate on my behalf, like the late Mike Porco, who, when I decided that's it, I'm not coming back, he's called me back and I pulled the number four. And from that point on, I pulled between one and five. So I was always going to play on Monday nights. Um, right. When I saw I got a good response to my songs, forget about the response. It's what I wanted to do. And so I, I did it and I kept pursuing it. Um, my mom also, you know, she was... That was a big influence because one one day I'm like writing songs or working on songs and she heard me singing. And she came in the room and she said, I thought the guitar was going to wind up under the bed. Wow. She goes, and look at you. It's only been how many months and you're playing gigs. And I said, well, I, I didn't lie. I wanted to do it. And she said, okay, then do it. And even when later on, my mom got sick with cancer and she was in the hospital and we all knew where that was going to go. She had ovarian cancer and I was going to like interrupt everything that I was doing just to care for her, just to be there. And she said, you could still be there, be here. You know, I mean, I had a day job, 
and I'd go to the hospital, and then I'd go to rehearsal. Sometimes I'd go back to the hospital, and I'd go home, and I'd come back the next night. I'd either go to work. I had a gig. I'd go there. I'd go to the gig. I'd come back the next day. And she says, you could do that if you want, but don't quit. Because I felt like I can't do everything at once. And she said, well, if you stop playing music, you're going to have a problem with me. No, she she was like, and she even said to me, she goes, if you don't play music and I die, I'm going to haunt you. She did say that to me. I said, okay, I won't. I won't. You know, she she believed in me. Um, it took a minute because um, she wouldn't come to my gigs. Um, my mom, you know, being biracial, my mom was a black Cuban. If you saw her working, walking down the street, you wouldn't say she was Cuban. She was a black woman. My mom, God bless her, was so affected by that movie, Imitation of Life, craziness. Okay, and so she said, I won't come to your gigs. I don't want to ruin it for you. I said, Mom, ru ruin what? What are you talking about? I had no idea. She's thinking 1940, whatever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, somebody who might be able to do something for you sees that I'm there and I'm your mother and I'm black. They won't help you. And I said, Mom, what do you think they see when they look at me? And then I had hair. I had a great big afro. Right. She goes, yeah, but you pass. And I'm like, no, I don't. You know, mm. different mentality. They think if you're light-skinned that you have a better opportunity. And that's never been the case. Okay. And and I can, and we, that's another discussion for another day. Um, and I said to her, well, if you don't bother coming when I'm nobody, don't bother coming when I'm somebody. Well, one night, New Year's, day after New Year's, I got a gig in the village. It's a big deal. We show it's freezing out and we get on stage. At that point, I'd already put a band together. We're going to play. And from the corner of my eye, the place is packed. Who walks in? My mom dressed to the nines. Okay. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, mom came. And from that night, she came to every game. <laughs> and it became this thing with my friends, like who's going to sit at Lily's mom's table? My mom was fun, you know. And 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 then when the the owners would get wind of the fact that that was my mom, they keep sending her drinks. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't. We were playing at this place in in the Upper East Side of New York called JP's one night, Jim Pulis's place. And and in between songs, the bartender was like, Mom, what are you drinking? She's screaming and she goes, I'll have a scotch. She says, No, she won't. You know, like and, and I went to my mother's table in between sessions. There were like ten hits of scotch sitting there. I'm like, I was giving them away. I'm like, Mom, you can't she do this. Here. But you know, it became it was celebratory. People were like, Lily's mom is in the house, you know. I also wanted to um um ask you about um just your process, like your 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 songwriting, because your songwriting is just phenomenal, Lily. I just oh, I love it. Um, and so just listening, you know, to you now and and, and you sharing your story, um, that like I was saying earlier, just the depth in which you write. Um, what's your process? How do you how do you is it there a certain process that you do? Do you like okay, I'm gonna sit down between two and three and write this song, or is it just life's lessons and all these things that help you create the songs that you create? It's both. Sometimes you can sit down and say, I'm going to write today and nothing comes up. Sometimes it comes from just this lick on the guitar that you, you play when you're warming up and it becomes a song. Uh, sometimes I have a whole song written because I have the lyric 
but I have no melody and I have no harmony. I don't know what chords, I don't know what key. And I start trying to mess around with that and that comes. Other times I am fortunate that the muses show up. Many a time, and I'm sure you've experienced this, and if you haven't, I hope you do. There is a period right before you fall asleep at night that I think it's that your brain or your soul is most open. I really believe that. And all of a sudden, music starts to play. And you hear, I hear lines and I hear rhythm. And then one four-note phrase becomes eight notes. And then it becomes a first and it plays over. And then I get a chorus. And that plays from the beginning. And then a bridge comes. And then usually in those times, I am so very comfortable. They've got the right spot in the bed. All of the covers fit just so. The pillow feels just so. And I'm about to go. I get up. And I come in my music room and I turn on my recording, my music app, and I work out what I'm hearing and I record it. Mm-hmm. Most of the times when I wake up the next day, I don't even remember. And I'm so glad that I record it. And I have written many songs that way. And I think it's what it is, is that subconsciously oh, <laughs> what I'm hearing. You could ask most musicians yes, or yes. songwriters, people have asked me, do you hear music in your head? And I go all day. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and and is that true that you? I mean, yeah, I'm sitting on the bus and I got all kinds of stuff going on, and and even while I'm listening sometimes to music, I have others like the brain splits in half and I I've got ideas going, and so, and I feel bad. It happened to me two nights ago. It happened. I'm sorry. It happened to me yesterday as I was mm. I was I woke up, and I was trying to fall back to sleep, and I heard I hear I'm a singer, but I tend to hear saxophone. I don't know why. I just love the tenor saxophone. And I hear it starts with a horn line. And it just goes. Yes. And so no. a lot of the songs is difficult for me because I'll write horn lines. Then I have to phrase words to fit the lines. That's no that's no easy feat. That's that that's very challenging. And then sometimes I wind up changing that line, which becomes a melody. Um, I find chord progressions are easier to come mm-hmm. through chord voicings and, ch- and and move a song but and that's always the most fun because it's cha- it's a challenge okay make this work sometimes i have to sit with it for a few days a few weeks a few months and in between that time i'll complete two or three other songs from start to finish and that one still sits but those are the ones that become gems every now and then i'll have an idea that i've been working on in that same place it just says i'm falling asleep and i'm so relaxed the next, oh, that's what I got to do. Jump out of bed, go in a music room, close the door, and get to I get up. And sometimes I'm there for hours. And, and my husband will wake up and say, I thought I heard you last night. Like, yeah, you heard me. I was working. I'm like, oh, no, okay. It so that's how it happens. I used to think, oh, man, if I had all the time in the world, I'd write 100,000 songs a day. It doesn't work like that. You know, it, it's discipline. I mean, there are people that are what they call them song hacks, and they have a day job, and they show up at the place and say, write a song about shoes. Okay. Bing, 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 bing. There you have it. Um, that's great if you could do that, but 
um, as, and, and maybe once in a blue moon I could do that, but it just, it's, it, it's just work. I, I also, um, you know, look at the times as well. And, you know, things are changing, kind of digital technology, you know, it's consistently like emerging. And how do you um, keep yourself like relative uh, and, well, I say rel- uh, relevant then, relevant and motivated. I think that, I think when they ask that, I always don't like being, when they hear you're relevant or you're non-relevant. I think that's the wrong word. Um, I, th- I think some of it is slave to trend. Um, if if the day of tomorrow they say no more CDs and everything's digital, I will have no other choice if I want to present my music. Um, albums seem to be record albums making a comeback. Um, I have about 500 albums that I've had from, and right. I got rid of probably another 500 mm-hmm. prior to that because I got tired of moving with them. Of uh, Record albums, they're sacred to me. I remember when I first bought them and why I bought it and what song was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting rid of it. Oh, yeah, you could buy the CD. It's not the same. I like my albums. Um, if they're making a comeback to stay, I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. A lot of well-known artists are re-releasing their work on albums. Um, and even though they're on 33 and a third, they're, yes. they're recorded at 45 because it's a clearer sound. Um, and 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 that's okay. And, and it's a very expensive. So uh, I'm in the studio now. So should I, is it possible that maybe the next release will be on digital and record albums? Maybe if I can afford to do it relevant or not it's it costs money people don't realize that it costs right. money to do so while it would be nice because my dream when when i finally got signed to a record label and had my work released i was in when the tide had turned and there were no more record albums it was all cds my dream was to have that album that i could open up and i wanted it to have a gatefold so that it would open and have all my lyrics and a nice folder. Yes. um that went out and i'm like oh well um, I, I just on principle, I'd like to see that, but, uh, the idea is to get the music. And if it means that people are going to download it to pay for the digital, that's great. If they're going to buy the CDs, I like having, like to hold on to something. This is me. Okay. When I buy it and I could read credits and I could read liner notes, you know, what does success, what does it mean to you? I wake up, I raise the shade in my bedroom, and I look out to my beautiful yard and I say, gratitude. Mm, that is powerful. Oh, thank you. That is that is wonderful. I love that. Thank you. Everything that you heard today, um, we appreciate it. Lillian Aniel is definitely and truly a freedom agent. She's constantly doing powerful and bold things. Thank you. Thank you for including me. It means a great deal to me. And... Uh, Love to everyone in Atlanta, and I hope I see you again soon. For sure, for sure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't hesitate. Leave me your review on iTunes, as well as to com for more content.